you so much, Grace. Um, the reason I wanted to interview you is that uh, so many of the people, the meetings, the young young folks come up to me at the meeting. They're so grateful that we're doing, you know, we do this. And I learn something and I get to meet people and get to know a little bit more about them. And, um, you know, and I, and I think that some of the some of the people because I have people that listen to them and they're like, oh, my gosh, they're, they're so valuable. And I've had them on as guests as well. So um, but what I'm always looking for is rock stars like you, you know, somebody who's young, um, really a rising star in our field, our specialty, who's willing to give up a little bit of time because, um, you know, no one really does this out there. Right. And and there are so many people I'm, I'm sure there's people you wish you could like bend their ear when you were first starting and say what do you think about this or what do you think about that right so thank you for joining. absolutely absolutely no thank you for having me yeah well so how long have you been in practice now i've been in practice seven years so really? i finished fellowship in 2015. Yeah. Uh, i did fellowship with paul nassif yep. today and guy nasri yep and i've been here ever since it's yeah. like i never left well, you, you, so, you know, the first time I knew who you, I found out who you were was, um, as about a few years ago, I think, but I, I heard your name and then, um, there's a nurse that I worked with in the islands, um, um, Asalia, you know, mm -hmm. you probably, you did a mission trip with her. Yes. Yes. And, um, so she, she called me up to ask a question about relocating. She's got to be one, I mean, one of the best nurses I've ever worked with. She oh. ran that OR in our clinic in the islands. And so, so she said to me, so she asked me, you know, if I knew who you were, I said, well, I know who she is. She goes, honestly, I, she goes, I have to tell you something. I like, I like got to like hang out with her. I'm like starstruck. I'm like, <laughs> so do you have that effect on people? No, thank you. <laughs> I don't think usually, but. I'm glad I did on her. Yeah, no, she's a sweetheart. We've gotten to know her quite well. So um, where'd you grow up? So I actually grew up in Los Angeles. So in Palisades, California. Yeah. It's Palisades Peninsula, where California sort of just out in the Southern yeah. California region. Yeah. Um, I grew up there. My parents still live there. And actually, now I've moved back. So it all comes full circle. It does indeed. And, um, you know, I usually ask people, you know, find out where you're, you know, when, when you have family and support, it means everything, right? Yes. And I think that's kind of the reason why we ended yeah. up moving back. I never thought I would. It was seemed yeah. so remote. Yeah. And it's like a part of Southern California that's not like the big bustling areas that we think of when we think of LA. Yeah. Um, but it's perfect. So how far is that from, from where your practice is now? Oh, it's only about 20 miles. But, oh, you know, I have to go yeah. on the 405. Oh, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. about like 45 minutes in the morning because I start surgeries pretty early and I have yeah. surgery maybe like four days a week. But yeah. at night, it's like anywhere from an hour 10 no. to an hour 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so hopefully you got a headset or something. You can, or, you know, something, you can <laughs> yeah. something interesting. A Tesla. Yeah. So you chose California because it's so underserved, right? So underserved. So underserved. <laughs> I know I have my fellows, I've had a number of them go out there and I always joke and I say, you know, you, you, what are you going out there to, you know, uh, to the underserved area? <laughs> <laughs> you may know, do you know Steve Danes? Yes. Yeah, yeah. he's a guy. And um, Taylor Pillai now is out there. And, oh, okay. Uh, and Henry Chen, you might know, you might not know Henry. Oh my gosh, love Henry. Know him so well. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. So I don't well. say that about most men, but uh, he's a real sweetheart. He really yeah. is. He really is. So, um, how do you, you know, what's your practice like now? 
So actually, I started off my practice in uh, Dr. Nassif's office. So yeah. I was with Paul Nassif for fellowship. He asked me yeah. to stay on. Yeah. And he actually allowed me to start and build my own practice the way right. I kind of want to, um, awesome. but in his office. So it's been really great. Um, I would say everything from revision rhinoplasties, rhinoplasties, facelift, mm -hmm. upper bluffs, and then, you know, any clinic procedures and injectables. I do the entire um, gamut of everything. And so it's been very, very fun. That's great. That's great. Um when you but start... a new little exciting piece of news. Yeah, what's that? Um, in a couple of weeks, I'm actually starting my own practice. Are you really? So, yeah. This so is perfect been... then. This is actually <laughs> it's perfect. It's actually been perfect timing. It's kind of, actually yeah. kind of fun. The entire journey. It's fun. Uh, I bet it's a little scary. Um, I think it's pretty fun. It's pretty exciting. It? I feel like when things are the right time, yeah. it just can't even happen fast enough. And yeah, there's all sorts of stressors, yeah. um, including the tile in my office is not completed. Um, yeah. But I think it's very exciting because for me, at least, it's the next step. Yes. And I've always thought about it and thought about how I'd stay with Dr. Nassif until he retires. But he's never going to retire. He's in no. such high demand. He's in such high demand. Um, no. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. So, so are you going to be closer to where you grew up? No, I'll actually be very close to Dr. Nassif in case he needs me for anything. Yeah. Um, because as you know, we operate together a lot and everything. So uh, my office is very, very close. Yeah. We also share our fellows. Oh, and so I'll be still doing my same teaching yeah. responsibilities with him and having fun with them. Yeah. And you get to work with Babic a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Seeing him right after our podcast, actually. Well, he's, you know, he's one of those people I have tremendous amount of respect for. He is yep. just such a gentleman and, um, you know, he's extremely talented, humble, and, yeah. you know, is a continuous lifelong mentor for me. Um, yeah. you know, aside from us, actually all three of us share a fellow. So the three of us are co-directors for our fellowship. Yeah. Um, but aside from just fellow. kind of, huh? Time for another fellow, right? <laughs> Time for another fellow. We have two actually a year. Yeah, that's right. I did. Programs yeah. have two. Um, yeah, we just we're just starting with two, but um, yeah, it's fun though. Yeah, I, I've I've enjoyed it. To me, I have you know I have some of my best friends are my old fellows, and you know I mean we share something together, right? I mean there's something you can talk about, and uh, you know, and I feel like for me. You know, we've got kids and and they're 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 older now but it it's it's like having you know kids and helping them find their way and I, I that's what i really enjoy about you know seeing them go off and do their own thing and raise a family and all that sort of thing yeah, yeah. i always joke to dr nassif i'm like i may be your first daughter you know yeah. i know you have a daughter now but i may have been you know your pre-daughter right. daughter <laughs> so how how big is the space that you're going out in uh, about 2,500 square feet. Yeah, perfect. That's a nice yeah. size. Yeah. Are so you it'll just, be fine. Yeah. I guess you would, if you were to go, you probably. You know, actually it's downsizing because Dr. Nassif basically has a mansion here. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm actually downsizing because I can't yeah. possibly have an office this big. Yeah. Um, no, no. It'll be fun. I think in general, in clinic, like to have patients kind of be efficiently seen and roomed probably like three to four exam rooms 
um, yeah. for like post-ops, consults, you know, pre-ops, things like that. And so it's nice. My new space will have um, actually six rooms and then about three offices, photo room. And so all those were things that are kind of throughout all the offices I've ever seen yeah. um, during my short career, kind of assimilated all of those attributes to create an office. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I mean, it's exciting. And what, the thing is, you've been out long enough that you, it's, you, you know, have a reputation, you have a name, people who know who you are. So it's not like going to some town and just opening up. So it's a little less frightening than a lot of people that I talk to. Yes. Yeah. And, and especially I, with all the support that I have, honestly, I feel so fortunate yeah. um, to be going along this path. Yeah. I mean, do, so would you describe yourself as like an entrepreneur or business person or are you? Normally, no, no, normally, no. Yeah. But it's always been something that I thought I would toy with later on, you know, yeah. later on. It's always kind of study first, then it's like school. Then it's like, you know, everything is about the next step. I feel like right. in medicine and surgical training. Yeah. Overs are that way. You know, they're always planning mm -hmm. for the next, you know, they're always planning for the next thing. Right. Yes. And then finally, you find yourself in the perfect timing and opportunity for something mm -hmm. like this to happen. And so I was actually a little proud of myself that I went for change and went for something that was different. It's it's, it's gutsy. It, it still is gutsy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it still is. It still it, is. It's gutsy. You you got to start hiring people. You got to start making payroll. Um, yeah. You know, you got to start having tough conversations with people. You know. Yes. Yeah. How are you with that? Um, I'm learning. I'm learning. Yeah. Ever since I was a fellow, Dr. Nassif always told me, you know, you have to learn to, you know, like go for it and, you know, always, you know, say what you really think and not, you know, worry about, you know, necessarily offending people, but just going for it. Um, and so I've worked on that. I've taken that to heart and really worked on that over the years. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, a role as a small business owner as sort of um, the surgeon of a solo practice, those are all things that will still take a lot of experience and there will be hurdles that I haven't even thought of that I'm gonna come across. But I think I'm very well equipped having seen so many good role models around me and knowing how different people interact with yeah. different situations differently. And, you know, I always tell fellows we're like basically the perfect amalgam of everybody we've seen and everyone who teaches oh, us. It's true. It's and true. the best of biology is like cross-pollination. So if right. I think of it, I'm basically the cross-pollination of like Babak Azizadeh, Paul Nassif, Kai yeah. Nasri, and everybody else I've encountered. Right. Um, yeah. So what were, what were the biggest, early on, what were your biggest challenges when you first started and, and joining someone because I, you know, a lot of our, I have people who have stayed with me and they're, you know, my friends and we have a great, you know, partnership, but a lot of them don't work. Yeah. I actually think the best part of joining someone was because I was joining someone I knew and someone who had my best interest at heart and someone who wanted me to succeed. Yeah. I, I'll be totally honest. Yeah. I wasn't busy in the beginning. Um, but I wasn't even worried about it because Dr. Nassib would find ways to, you know, have me help him with cases or yeah. if patients couldn't afford him, they would get a chance to meet with me. And he really opened a lot of doors for me. I actually thought it was a great way to start off because when you want to start off and you want to build your own practice, your own name, 
but someone is there to help you, yeah. you kind of have the best of both worlds. And, well, um, it is, and too, for him, it's a great thing because, you know, he has such a name and demand that he can, you know, ask high fees. And, you know, if your fees are half or whatever, you know, we don't get into, need to get into numbers, but it's, you're not taking anything from him and it's, mm -hmm. it's a way to support mm -hmm. you, right? Whereas Absolutely. I think graphics- And I think the patients that come in that want sort of to be coming to this office and see yeah. these surgeons, um, they get taken care of regardless of, you know, what they're able to necessarily spend or, you know, what they're looking for. And sometimes people come in and they're looking for a female surgeon. Yep. Well, you know, our male surgeons aren't going to be that right. surgeon for them. And so I think it's been really, really nice. I think it's been learning on both of our parts, but I've mm. had a really incredible seven years. Yeah. So if you were to say, like, the main reason you're going out on your own, what would that be? I mean, you know, you said you always planned on it, but there's got to be... a a reason is it maybe just autonomy i mean what is it what is it that's because that's I a big don't think autonomy is part of it yeah. um to be totally honest the reason most people don't necessarily stay in one place for as long as i have and i know many of our listeners out there already know that <laughs> many many of you also know you know seven years is already a really long time eight years actually right. um but I would say, I think it's autonomy and also just the ability to try something new and different. Yeah. Um, while there's always autonomy for how you treat your patients, what you do in consultation and what you do surgically and your aesthetic, okay? That's always, that's always your own, okay? Yeah. I think certain things um, are still kind of a fun learning experience. How would you run a practice? How would you, you know, deal with certain patients and kind of things that occur in the office? And those are all things that are opportunities for us to learn as like surgeons and clinicians. And mm -hmm. it's probably time for me to try out some of those for myself. I, I understand it. I mean, I, from day one, I did it and it was, it was frightening, but it ended up, you know, long-term ends up, you know, being a good decision. A lot of people really don't like the business aspect of things. And I get that too, you know, dealing with, you know, dealing with uncomfortable situations and just an experience that I had as uh, I was probably 10 years in practice as I started to, you know, continue to grow and grow and grow. You having more and more and more people, if you don't lead that team well, um, yeah. yeah, if you don't lead that team well, the, you know, your staff expenses and costs, payroll, okay, retirement, all that stuff will eat you alive. And right. uh, I always say that the, you know, the choke point of every business is at the top. Because, um, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Um, and that's why, I, you know, in all the offices that I've shadowed, been with, or trained at, it all has its own personality. Yeah, it does. And, you know, it has medical assistants. It has patient care coordinators. It has all the same constituents. But really, each personality of each practice comes from, you know, it's, leading surgeon or its leading clinician. It really does. So when's the big start date? It's actually the 23rd of January. So in like a week and a half. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Monday, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be also after Chinese New Year. So it's perfect okay. New Year, new start. Yeah, that's terrific. You mentioned one thing that I, I'm, I'm curious. Now, listen, I have three daughters, right? 
Uh, one, of them, one of them is uh, an ophthalmologist. So um, yes, and, and you uh, have the cutest, cutest grandson. grandson. Uh, you know you're gonna be beam, but uh, <laughs> no. So my son is actually just a couple months uh, younger. How is he? Yeah. He's yeah. born in what, so, January. Yes. Yes. He's about a year old. <laughs> yeah. Almost, almost, yeah. all around the same thing. But yeah, so um, yeah, congratulations. So yeah, awesome. Um, but what, what, what the reason I want to ask you, cause I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, go big time girl power, you know, cause in my house we have three girls and, um, we have a son, but I always, I always told my girls, you can do anything you want and all this other stuff. But you know, and I just had this conversation with data contest because, um, Mary Lynn Moran was our first president and I was yep. uh, proud to say that I was the one who nominated her and pushed hard for her. But, um, how do you find the AFPRS, you know, uh, now, because for years people used to say, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's old boys network and old man's network. you've done exceptionally well, as far as getting recognition. Um, what advice would you give young women and how do you feel the AFPRS is handling all this? I actually think the AFPRS is amazing at handling all this, but to be totally honest, even years ago, which means when I was a resident and even as a medical student, when I first kind of, you know, heard about facial plastics and things like that, I think my first conference was when I was a resident. I actually never felt like I was female. I never felt like I was Asian. I never felt like I was young. Yeah. Um, I was always treated with so much respect, um, including by a lot of the very prominent members who maybe, you know, were male. Yeah. Um, but I feel like they've really made an effort to try to include younger surgeons as well as yeah. include a lot of female surgeons into committee meetings, onto the board, making sure we're nominated. Um, so as you know, I'm ser serving uh, right now as yeah. a young physician representative to the board. Um, yeah. It's been an amazing experience, but I always felt like they did a very good job. So maybe I just wasn't around when, you know, other people were talking about their certain examples, but it's been really incredible. There's also a lot of mentorship going on. And so for all the younger members out there, you can feel free to reach out to any of us, not just me, but any one of us. And people are very open to helping others, whether it's like, you know, curbside consult or, you know, how do I start my own practice? Or, hey, is this uh, business arrangement you think it would be okay for me coming out of fellowship? I've had so many people ask me about questions like that. Mm -hmm. And I love it because I've had those same questions and I felt like I could ask anyone. Um, I mean, my the year I was president was 15, 16, and that year I didn't speak at the podium. I invited all younger members, and I kept telling I kept telling our people, look, if we put young people on, they can be a moderator. They can be, but yeah. they'll show up at the meetings. But we cannot. We have to get the young people to the meetings and give them the podium. And I got to tell you, it's interesting because I got I did get a lot of pushback from some of our older. Oh really? Because you, know, you well, set a great precedent. Because you know now. Yeah, it's all of us. All oh, of I know. Us. I know. It's I mean, great. And it's it's amazing because I feel like everybody has something that they could teach about. Okay? So maybe I can't do a, you know, 25, 30 years rhinoplasty experience. But right now I can tell you about how to harvest rib, you know, right. or something, anything right. little, anything small. And that's where we begin. And honestly, you did an amazing job starting that because I've never felt any inequity. And well, um, that's, yeah, it's I mean, been... I, 
all the conferences, everyone's very welcoming. Anytime I want to submit anything for even like oral presentations or talks, mm -hmm. it's been more than welcomed, um, been invited for panels and things like that. And I, I guess I take it for granted because no, I actually thought that everything. everything's been really great. <laughs> well, no, I, you know, I, I think we're, we're a grassroots organization, right? And I, and it's so important. We don't ever want to become complacent. And I think because we always were kind of the underdog, you know, for years, we all kind of really bonded together and helped each other more. And I don't want to see that go away. And I also yeah. think it's really important for us never to become complacent because, you know, you can become a product of your success and become complacent and become obsolete. Um, I'm thrilled to see the transformation in the last five or six years of so many of the younger people at the meeting. I was talking to Theta about this the other night um, that we're seeing people coming. But so here's my pitch to you is just don't stop. And you, you, you just go, go to the committee meetings, just offer to do some things. And the next thing you know, yeah. you know, um, you may not know this, but I mean, the first time I was asked to be president, I turned it down because I didn't feel it was, you know, my time yet. Because there's a lot to learn about the organization, but there's yeah, so much. There is. But without Gay of Paris, we we have nothing. I mean, we really we really don't yeah. because, um, yeah, it's all of our education, all of our uh, advocacy work is all done yeah. done at the academy. and it's through unity. And so I think one of the really important things, especially in the last few years where we've had fewer in-person meetings, mm -hmm. and now we're getting back into it, is really that we're a community and we're united. There's that no means question. we're united as a representation against everybody else out there, but also with everybody else out there. I mean, there's so many people getting into aesthetics, cosmetics, plastic oh, surgery, yeah. that for us, it's very, very important with our training and our expertise that we stay united. Absolutely. Um, you know, we have one huge for advantage. For everyone. We do have one huge advantage, and that is that you, you can't um, debate the training our people have. You can't debate, you, you know, in aesthetics. Yes. And, you know, people can, you know, try to do this and they'll do thread lifts and then, you know, that fat will be gone again. Um, so, but no one, no one really has the surgical training and the training that we have. So it does, if we just continue to take care of each other, do, do good work and give back and train our people, we're still going to, we're still going to be the go-to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What absolutely. are your thoughts? Um, no, I'm going to come to that question after because I think that's a really good question because you're you're just starting your practice. But um, what are the things you worry about now? Whether it's um, whether, whether is it you know technical, surgical, business. What are the things that kind of that does does uh, Grace worry now about? now business? Yeah. Okay, and I would say. And I'm sure this is true for everyone of all age groups, the every so often, the very rare, but the difficult patient. Oh, so um, that doesn't The business part, I almost <laughs> don't worry yet because I don't yeah. know what to worry about yet. But in a couple of weeks, I'll tell you all my worries. Yeah. Um, but I also feel very well equipped. I think one of the really benefits of having trained with um, Dr. Azizadeh and Dr. Nassif is that they're both such astute. Um, business clinician surgeons and that are very academic. So they've sort of put together their practices both as a complete business, but also as a almost like a little academic institution. And yep. so business-wise, I've been able to see a lot of different examples and extrapolate Ooh. from it what yeah. I think um, would work for me. However, I would say maybe 
and I'm lucky, but I'm sure as my career goes on, there will be more. I would say the once in a while difficult patient sometimes can really get me feeling down. Mm -hmm. um, You're no different. It's not even anything. It's not even anything necessarily that we do. It's just that when people are so unhappy and projecting that onto either you or a procedure or something like that. And I have to learn not to take that home with me. I think about it all the time. I'll wake up in the middle of the night and think about the situation or how I like handled it and if I could have prevented something. And I think I need to learn to be able to separate a little bit from that. Um, and so I would say that's usually my biggest worry, not because I'm like worrying about that might happen, but because if there's one, you just need one patient over the course of like maybe three years to kind of linger on and um, be unhappy. That truly makes me feel terrible. Yeah. So just a couple, you know, experience shares there. I, by the way, that doesn't go away. And I think when it does go away, you probably should stop practicing medicine. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> however, however, you you know you've had it. You've had some really good, you know, really good teachers. I always, I my fellows always tell me, you, you know, one of the most important things and the best things I learned with you is just how to manage expectations. Um, yeah. And you know, every single rhinoplasty I tell, every, you know, two or three times they hear me say, "Listen, I've got tons of experience, but this is not a perfect operation." And I say yeah. it over and over. So you get much better at it. I have so much less grief now just because I'm I am. And the other thing is. You, you do get a little thicker skin. You know, I, I don't ever. No, and mine's so baby thin still. No, and I'm, I'm trying no. to. Yeah. It's, it, and that will be that way for years. I mean, a Slaughter, who's been with me for six, seven years, you know, he sometimes will come around the corner, you know, corner and it looks like he saw a ghost because he's got an unhappy patient. I'm like, come on, you know, just like, you yeah. got to, you got to. It's, it's, uh, and it's hard not to take that to heart. It really beats you up. Yeah. And I've seen people, I've actually seen people who, you know, really get away from a surgical practice because they just, they would rather do non-surgical because, you know, they, there's less risk and you have less of those things. Um, it's a learning process and it's going to take you years. The fact that you keep pushing it a little bit is, is good because that, that does come with, you know, it comes with time. And um, yeah. not that you become callous, but you just, you realize it's not, you know, as I tell, it's not like a reflection of you as a surgeon or as a person. And I, I guess I just want to make sure that, you know, those unhappy patients know how much we care and yeah. we know that they're unhappy and their unhappiness makes us feel bad that they are so unhappy. Right. But you can't um, and I feel out. bad that we can't make them happier, but I yeah. feel like many times, even whatever it is that they're unhappy about is only just a reflection of other unhappiness that we may not be able to help them fix. So, you know what I tell my team? Cause they're like, how come I just don't understand why, you know, so-and-so and I'm like, because happiness is in here. I wake up happy every day. Yeah. And so, and, yeah. and the thing is no matter how good you get at this, yeah. um, now and then one sneaks through. Yeah, I know. I know. And I'm very, <laughs> I'm very, uh, I would say conservative <laughs> and, um, yeah. Well, I think in early yeah. in early on too, so you're, it's kind of like the perfect storm because early on in in your career, you're enthusiastic to do things, so you portray that. When in reality, if there's a little red flag, that maybe that you know you don't see that red flag as much. Oh, you know? so I do, I do. That's part of my doctor's visa day training. Yeah. Is um, 
you know, I actually, Please tell him I, said I actually hi. really, you know, even in the beginning, yeah. really, really pick yeah. uh, my patients. Um, but you're absolutely right. A lot of it's expectation management. And despite all of our best, best, best efforts, it doesn't matter if you're just starting out or if you're, you know, many, many decades out, um, there will be someone who might be unhappy. Question. What, what would you tell? So, you know, you joined a senior person and it worked out, um, you know, to your satisfaction, a lot as you, I think probably 80 to 90% of them don't work out. Now you told me some of the really, reasons. yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, most I would not them. have guessed that. So what advice would you because, you know, I, I hear this all the time and I've interviewed people who, you know, a number of people who hasn't worked out, but, um, you know, what advice would you give? I mean, you happen to have a great situation, hmm. always very, you know, kind to you. What advice would you give someone looking? Because it's really daunting for young people. Like, who do I join? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I feel like that comes in two questions. Yeah. Uh, one is how does it work? Okay. Yeah. I think if you go in with the feeling of gratitude, it will always work very, very well. Mm -hmm. um, we are very lucky that we can be kind of taken under the wing and taken into the office of somebody who's worked so hard and this may be their dream office that they've built and um, you know their career that they've built over decades. And they are sharing some of that wisdom, some of that patience, some of the patience, um, some of the successes and all of their, you know, kind of day to day with us. And for that, I will always be very grateful to Dr. Nassif. Um, I way, feel like he- Ingredient, by the way, I've heard that from people where it's worked and because it, you can't imagine what it's like to start. No, no, event. and I still can't because I'm yeah. starting in two weeks, but yeah. I've already been doing facial plastic surgery. I've, I've already heard. had some experience for a few I've, years. And so it's not the same as starting off all by myself. And I don't think I could have done that. I don't yeah. have the business acumen and I would not have even kind of known what to do. Um, of course, one force, all of us can do anything all the time. However, I would say I'm very, very grateful for all of kind of the experience that I've been able to glean from being here and learning from not only my own mistakes, but also everything that he's learned through an entire career. He's shared that with sure. me just by my joining him. Sure. Um, and so gratitude, I think, is the most important factor in making that relationship successful. And mm -hmm. with gratitude, it will absolutely make both parties, um, you know, have a very, very good relationship before, during, and maybe even after if, you know, like I am growing up now. So I would say that's the main ingredient. When you pick someone, I feel like it's like anything else. And I thought this when um, I was applying for fellowship, you want to pick someone that you want to be in a relationship with right. in the sense that it should be somebody that somehow matches you, whether yeah. it's that they're so different that they match you or whether they're so similar or they're maybe de very detail oriented the way you are, they could appreciate that or, you know, different things. And um, I used to always joke with Dr. Nassif that for certain things, I already know what he's, thinking and I already know kind of what his expectations are um, because both he's taught me 
a certain way of thinking, but also certain characteristics that I have myself. Mm. I initially, when he, when I was a fellow, um, about two months in, he asked me to join him. And I was like, that is ridiculous. I'm not joining him. And in my head, I thought, you know, I'm just here for the year. I'm, I can't, I can't stay around for longer than a year, you know, and now look at me like eight years later. Yeah. Um, but I feel like we get along very, very well. Um, even our fellows would probably say that. And so we have a lot of fun, um, both with how we approach certain things surgically and situation, um, but also kind of how we're able to have fun um, with each other and poke fun at each other. And so you always want to pick somebody who you think you'll just be happy in a relationship with, because that's going to be somebody that you turn to when you have an issue. Yeah. That's going to be someone that you want to go show your first few good results to, you know, and that's going to be somebody who's really going to teach you kind of how they've run things and kind of what they've learned over the years. Mm. And so I think it's, um, I think people may not realize the importance of really seeing who may work well with you. Mm -hmm. So when you open your practice, what do you think is going to be your biggest, the biggest struggle or biggest challenge you have in the first year? Um, honestly, I think it's going to be really fun. Yeah. I haven't even thought about that. Yeah. Everything will have its challenges, but I don't expect anything very different from like the 22nd to the 23rd. Yeah. When I start. Um, where do you see, where do you see the future of what we're doing? Of facial plastic surgery. Yeah. I think it will be trending to less invasive, less yeah. invasive procedures, not ne not necessarily non-surgical, just less invasive procedures, um, younger. Because I think things will be more of a preventative rather than a treatment, will mm -hmm. be rather of a refresh rather than a huge change, um, but surgical, surgical. Mm -hmm. I, I see that we've often even in my short career, I have often skewed towards non-surgical treatments. And it's almost like we can't quite get to the level that we want the results to be and sort of skews back surgical. So I think, you know, that ultimately there really is a role for certain surgical um, procedures. Um, but I don't see this field going away at all. No, I don't see it. I don't see it going away. It's it's fascinating to me how it's changed though. I mean, you think about it, my generation went out, I had facelift rhinoplasty and blepharoplasty, and we ran around to emergency rooms to get lacerations and we just, you know, would die to get a little reconstructive stuff here and there. And um, and then around 2000s, 2002 was, I think it was two or three when Botox was FDA approved. I remember where I was. Um, and just what a drastic change. And now all of a sudden, yeah where we had um i remember it was a dermatologist who i talked to about you know procedural cosmetic dermatology and they this is 20 years ago and they're like what do you mean about cosmetic dermatology i mean and yeah. now yeah. dermatology has exploded and yeah. um you know to seeing you know celebrity dermatologists and all this other stuff um, so there have been a lot of people who have entered our field. I actually, back in the day, thought um, our biggest threat were the oral surgeons and, you know, not that people are threats, it's just how the field has changed. Right. What, 
Um, so you're thinking we're going to see more. Because I there's a there's a part of me that kind of disagrees. Like for for example, I see a lot a lot more and a lot younger patients now who want to decrease mm-hmm. left and don't want. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they want a real that's surgery. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, 40, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, and it's younger. So it's younger. I think gone are the days where people that are younger but could have some surgical treatment yeah. opt for a non-surgical. Like they are going for the surgical now. But yeah. when they get the surgical treatment, it's less dramatic than someone much older getting the same surgical right. treatment. Yeah. But we're not going for kind of the dramatic change. We're kind of going for the, don't know if you changed your eyebrows or dyed your hair, but you look a little bit better. But it was a surgical intervention, not a yeah. non-surgical. I do think um, surgical interventions have become almost a little bit less scary, maybe with the advent of social media sort of showcasing a lot of surgeons doing surgeries and explaining things. Surgery seems less scary. Um, Anesthesia seems less scary. And those procedures, I think, are going to be on the uptrend with a lot of non-surgical replacements that weren't quite the same as surgery maybe going down a little bit. Yeah, like like we all say, I mean, right, surgery done well is not seen. But if you kill someone, they look ridiculous. And we see a lot of those. (laughs) You know, I remember my do- my one daughter is 24 now. We were in St. Thomas once, and she was probably 11, and she was sitting next to me. And there was a room- woman across the way who had way too much stuff in her face, right? So yeah. she's like, that, um, no, she, what'd she say? And she, like, poked me. She goes, that, I think that lady had, like, a lot of Botox or something. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> non was not done well. It looks terrible. And yeah. um, so I, I think we need to do a better job with, with, training because with so many people entering into the field you know yes encore people you know first they blew up the lips and then they blew up yeah. the lips in the folds and people look like they have marbles in the mouth then they just pop up the chest. you know there's a yeah. you can go a little bit of volume can go a long way in the temples and the forehead you don't need to put it all in one spot but if you're afraid right. of the anatomy so it did distort things um a bit what do you what do you think about I want to get your opinion on what do you think about um, private equity entering in our field? Now, a lot of you know practices are being sold to private equity. Um, yeah, how do, you, how do you think it's going to affect us? And do you think it's a good thing? Um, because I could do a whole, you know, I could talk for hours on this because I, you know, I've been I could talk for hours on this. Let's do a part two. Okay. Let's do a part yeah. two. Um, I haven't had much experience, yeah. but um, kind of what, uh, prompted my starting my own practice is actually that Dr. Nassif sold his practice to a private equity it. firm. So, you know, I and heard that. So I've, I've learned a lot from this experience yeah. since it's my first foray into sort of the business and the financial and the private equity. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Um, but I know it's very prevalent, not just in our field, but so many fields, fertility, dermatology, right. I, so many fields have already been going through this for years. Yeah. And so I think only time will tell how that shapes our field as well and others. I mean, you know, we're all starting at kind of different points where I feel like a lot of dermatology, fertility kind of started earlier. Um, while it's not the same sort of surgical and procedural subsets as what we deal with, um, it'll be interesting to see their kind of timeline and growth and how that may change with our field. And what do you think are the, the advantages maybe for, you know, someone you know, selling their practice private equity? 
And I think it depends. Okay, selling your practice then probably means that you've already been in practice for many, many years. And I think it's a perfect sort of landing for your career. Um, I can't obviously attest to having had, you know, so many decades of career experience, but I feel like when you've created a brand, when you've created a practice and a career that is so almost legendary, okay, it would be nice um, to then be able to showcase it as being part of a private equity firm and, you know, being the face of something. Mm. Um, But I think that's very different depending on the stage of your career. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I see a lot of people that are my, you know, my vintage who it's the only way they're going to monetize mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. they've worked And for. I'm, I think that's an amazing, an amazing opportunity. I think it's an amazing opportunity. I think what Dr. Nassif did was an amazing um, decision for him and for his practice. Yeah, I mean, there, again, I think we'll see where this plays out over the future right i mean because you mm-hmm. there's no question you lose a little autonomy i mean it's not yours anymore i have friends of mine mm-hmm. I, I have a lot of friends in i think i think it also depends on which group because from yes. what i can okay. tell obviously i'm a bystander but from what i can tell um a lot of groups including you know the one that um has been close with us allows us to have all our autonomy so i really think that does depend and um we'll have to see well also it depends on i think experience too you know we, <laughs> i a number of them that i dated um <laughs> i love the way it, you say things yeah so a, a lot of them i dated because i did date them and i just i not convinced that it's the right decision necessarily for for us, there's there's a lot of stuff that we're working on right now, and I just I don't want to spend the time to explain to someone what we're doing or how we're doing it, or you know, um, or ask permission for that matter. If I want to go spend X on something, and so um, it does make it, it does make it more difficult. But there were a number of, for example, one of them that I dated. Uh, it was clear that they, I mean, they've been in all these other different specialties. Mm-hmm. And they have some experience in aesthetic in aesthetic medicine, but the reality is, when you talk to them, they have nowhere near the business acumen of an aesthetic business that that, that I do. So I'm like, you know, um, others, you know, they've been in it. They've got a lot of financial backing, and they can do all the run all the spreadsheets. But you know, other than the check, the big check, I don't know. It's it's a slippery slope, and one of my concerns is I I do see how. You know, have as hospitals have gotten bigger and bigger in owning physician groups, a lot of physicians have lost their autonomy and even their their have their degree of frustration. And uh, yeah, I think and part. I guess I just hope that this is different in the sense that since it's not a hospital necessarily with certain regulations, that hopefully they buy up these groups and it's like a collection of brands. You know, mm-hmm. so each brand can still keep their their flavor. Yeah, I- you know, their sense. And so at the end of the day, though, you, you know, they are investor focused and we are absolutely. And we are surgery patient care focused. Yeah. So, So. you know, I, I think that that's, um, and and I'm, I think my strategy where I'm at now is I'm what I have is not going to go away. We keep growing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. The opportunity will continue to be there. Yeah. Um, and for, you know, for the right, you know, the right time, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I, I think the, I think the situation can be, but I, I know a lot of our senior people that it's their best option. Mm -hmm. Right. It's the best. I do. You know, one of the things that I've learned that they, they don't necessarily like dealing with physicians as much. I mean, they would, or surgeons because, well, the surgeons are like hurting cats, right? <laughs> They're like, some cats are easy to hurt. Well, so I asked to um, actually Patrick Byrne, who of course you know, and and Patrick, mm -hmm. really stinking smart guy. He's got his uh, MBA from uh, from Wharton. So I asked Patrick once. I said, "So why are?" Because he was getting involved with the private equity situation that was going yeah. up ophthalmology practices, and I said, "Why ophthalmology?" He says, "Because they're just plug and play, and mm -hmm. you know, you bring one in and bring another out, kind of thing. You know, that's a lot harder with uh, facial plastic surgeons have egos." Absolutely. I don't Absolutely. know that they have that figured out yet. I mean, I know Dr. Yeah. Dr. Uh, Dr. Nassau doesn't have an ego, right? So, um, no, but we all have egos to some degree. And that's, I think that's going to be a little bit of a challenge for them trying to figure that all out. Because it's not the same as, you know, doctor, you know, provider 628 in internal medicine. Yes. Also, everything that we do for our patients surgically and aesthetically is so tailored to the patient, but also tailored based on who we are as surgeons. And so I feel like there's a lot more variability, but that's what makes things so fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's why, you know, I'm exploring my fun. Sure. I hear you. You know, I also heard, I, I've heard um, some of our younger folks to say as a strategy, they're looking to do is build a thing, grow it, and sell it. I mean, that's what our co business cotton buddies, you know, do and, and colleagues do. They mm -hmm. earn something, mm -hmm. they grow and they sell it. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, until like my recent, slight bit of experience we never even thought about that yeah you know it was always you know the next like surgical step to being better better mm -hmm. but I, I never even thought about any of that so it's a new thing to think about well yeah I, so part of that is you have to become less relevant and which is hard to do yeah. because you, you know they're they're from a multiple of EBITDA they're not going to offer you as much if you are all so relevant unless you have a brand like Paul's that you can leverage, but yes. um, I mean, I, he has great brands. So oh God, yeah, oh God. I mean, I remember when Paul finished his, uh, you know, when he finished his his fellowship, and um, I remember Regan Thomas said to him, "Just don't go go doing some crazy shit, Paul." And uh, <laughs> Paul always wanted to be famous, and you know, yeah, yeah, that was, and I just it just it wasn't that long ago, like 2010. Okay, 2010, I was running a meeting in Boston and he was like pushing his way in the podium. I'm like, get out of here, Paul, you know? No, I got the media coming, you know? But that was before he hit big with, uh, you know, with botched and all this stuff. Um, but I, I, anyway, it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. But as a strategy, it's not too terrible because that's what I always tell people. The only reason to have a business, okay? To buy a business, have a business or whatever is to be able to grow it and sell it. Yeah. Ultimately, that's the end game. If you can't monetize your equity, then what good is it? You've well, just created a job. No, it's true. It's true. It's Your true. jobs aren't worth anything, right? So you truly do have to put yourself put together um, a business. Actually, run a business mastermind because it's it's a different. It's a whole different mindset for doctors, right? Yeah, and I'm about to learn all that. I know. <laughs> so I'll take all the tips. So. So before I let you go, because I want to respect your time, mm -hmm. what 
do you have any questions for me? I mean, you know, I, I've, I've made every mistake out there just so you know. Um, so, uh, you know, and if you do have any, text me or whatever sometimes. I will. Some... I will be texting. I, I really appreciate, you know, so many of us have admired you for so long from afar. Thank and uh, I remember the first time I did sort of a, um, one of those AFPR oh, yeah. things on rhinoplasty and yeah, yeah. rib and dice cartilage. Yeah. And it was so exciting to sort of see you as, you know, someone I could talk to rather yeah. than Dr. Williams, president. <laughs> that was, uh, that was kind of during the end of the, somewhere in the pandemic. Yes, that was during the pandemic when we had those teaching sessions. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were pretty good. I thought they were, they actually did a pretty good they job. They were very fun. They were fun. A, a strange thing we went through, right? This whole pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, I'll be, uh, I'll be texting you. Yeah, text me. Do you have any burning questions about about business yet? Um, no. Okay. No. We'll see. Well, I, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I wish you the very, very best and best of luck. I know you'll be extraordinarily successful. I don't even have to say, you know, good luck because I know you will be. Um, no, thank you. You'll have your challenges, of course. But um, yes. thank you so much for taking the time um, and sharing a little bit of your time because I know you you got a lot going on, especially now with a – so is that your first – Yes, it's my first, and it's so fun. You know, oh, yeah. that's another one of those things. I always thought, yeah, one day I'll have a kid. I'll have yeah. some kids, and then uh, you have your first. And in the beginning, I didn't even know what to think, you know, because oh. for me, everything's all like an intern or a surgical checklist, mm -hmm. and there's no checklist. Like, yeah. you can't check things off because if they don't yeah. want to do it, they don't do it. And no. it's been so fun. So yeah. Fun. I'll tell you, my, my, my new chapter is fun, too. We you know, back in the day, because we have four kids. So, so back in the day, you know, you get the masses and all this other stuff and the toys. And like, I, you know, you just, you put up with it, right? You step on something. Right. Right? Now it's like, I got, you know, my grandson's toys around. I love it. <laughs> I can well, see you are so crazy. happy on all your Instagram posts and stories. I yeah. watched them actually for him. Oh yeah. Oh, too funny. Well, I know that he's, a, he's an awfully cute kid, you know? He's so cute. So he's cute. Here. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're fortunate. My my daughter's like, what'd she say? She goes, um, I think so, so. Someday she'll be like, I don't know. He doesn't really look that Korean. I'm like, Kate, have you looked at your son lately? <laughs> <laughs> so we have fun with it because uh, yeah, we just have fun. We call Dan the Korean cowboy because he, you know, we live oh my out. Gosh, yeah. yeah, we love Dan. You know, yeah. we uh, we interviewed him and I talked to him. Yeah. And well, you know, he's joining us, so I'm pretty excited about that. Yes. I mean, we had he will be amazing. He will be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I keep telling you, I don't want to keep working so damn hard, you know. So, but uh, we got a great team here, and we're having we're having a lot of fun. It's partly one of the reasons it's hard for me to walk away from it. I have, I finally have built such an amazing team, and I'm not talking about the doctors. I'm talking about you know all the core disciplines and finance and yes. marketing. I mean, why would I just walk away? You know, my one daughter tells me, Dad, you need to retire. I'm like, what am I going to do? I can only fly airplanes, make make wine and do so much. I was going to say, you can fly airplanes and make wine. Most people would be okay with just half of that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, listen, Grace, thank you so much. It's, it's been a real honor to, to interview you. Thank and, you so uh, much for having me. I can't uh, wait I mean, to have our next session where I okay. tell you of all the pitfalls and the pearls. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll see all you, right, Grace. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.